I'm here. There's a certain person. Yeah, but for how much longer? Right? Freak out, though. Are we going to get a patented Fran McCaffrey freak out tonight at the Kohl Center, baby? Freak the chic. Fran McCaffrey, the lunatic, unhinged. Will Fran McCaffrey and the Iowa Hawkeyes, what kind of game will they bring to the Kohl Center? Another 8 o'clock tip-off. These 8 o'clock tips, man. Um, again, 8 o'clock's for the rest of the way going forward here during the week. Just an FYI. Hey, man. I, I, I prefer the 6 o'clock one, but I'll take the 8 o'clock, I guess. It's college basketball, so as long as, long as uh, the other games. Fran McCaffrey, though, he's bringing his uh, freakiness, not like a Greek freak like Giannis, his freak outness, his anger issues, to the Cole Center against Greg Gard, who has only gotten one technical in 280-plus games. I need to find the Fran McCaffrey uh, technical total. Well, he's got more than that this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw him get one against the Badgers in the first go-around. I mean, this dude is, uh, again, he's he's on the lunatic fringe. Fran McCaffrey technical fouls. Yeah, I don't know if you were paying attention to college basketball last night, but Michigan State beating Indiana 80-65, to mm. that's putting Wisconsin in a really tough spot. Because now you have, obviously, Purdue, Northwestern, Indiana. Those are clearly your top three teams in the Big Ten. Yeah. And then that huge chunk of, of teams that are 9-7. and seven, Well, Michigan State basically... Uh, assured everyone that uh, there's going to be the entire chunk ahead of Wisconsin in the standings are all nine and seven. Mm. And then you have Penn state, Wisconsin, all seven and nine and Nebraska at seven and 10. Yeah, that's not uh, Wisconsin probably has to go at least, God. at least three and one to, to try and penetrate that nine and seven group and probably four and oh, if they really want to pass many teams mm. or else, Man, they're looking at probably the tenth seed going into the Big Ten tournament. I mean, and, uh, Rowdy, luckily, luckily for everyone out there, that maybe some people don't know this, the Big Ten is now fourteen teams, so they're not last. Yeah, no, no, the Big Ten is no longer ten, but it hasn't been for not for decades. a long time. But Rowdy, I mean, Wisconsin hasn't doing much penetration lately. I mean, they haven't been hitting home runs. They haven't been going all the way. If anything, they've been getting friend zoned uh, along the way. Uh, maybe they get to hold some hands, and then all of a sudden. Uh, who they're courting is like, you know what? We're, it's just not working out for me. And then they beat them and they move on. Wisconsin in that 7-9 grouping. Um, yeah, Nebraska 7-10. and 10. I can't believe Ohio State is 3-13 and 13 in Big Ten play. And then Minnesota's absolute garbage. They're one now, I did my due diligence when looking at the standings and going, ooh, they're two games behind pretty much that huge pack of everybody. That's not good with four games left to play. Mm-hmm. But I, I was like, okay, it's going to be tough to see if they can jump any of those teams because also when you look at the conference and you look at how Wisconsin did against said teams that are all 9-7, and seven, they're 0-2 against Illinois, so there's no way that they would have a tiebreaker against them. They're 0-1 against Michigan State, no way they would have the tiebreaker against them. Mm. 0-1 against Rutgers, no way they would have a tiebreaker against them. One and one against Maryland, one and zero against Michigan. Potentially could go two and zero if they got a win at Michigan over the weekend. Big, big facts. And they're one and zero potentially two and zero against Iowa, who's also in that clump of nine of seven. Yep. Those are the only two teams that they actually have a shot at having a a tiebreaker against. God. So, so not only do they have to make up two games 
but they only have the tiebreaker with two of them if they win again. Mm. And Maryland, they split, so they don't have. They're not on the, the the good end of these tiebreakers. But I did my due diligence. They're not on the good end of Montreal. Let's be honest. I did my due diligence, and I looked at Penn State, and I looked at Nebraska, who are two teams that are potentially right in the neighborhood of passing Wisconsin. I can't believe the Badgers lost to Nebraska. By the way, if, if things go south, oh god! Now, if things do go south, could Penn State and Nebraska both pass Wisconsin? That would be I, disgusting. I don't think so. Just just reason being, I looked at both of the team schedules. Yeah, what's, what's I think all of the teams Who's well, got the hardest one? And the I easiest. think all of the teams have probably one guaranteed win left. Wisconsin's it's is Minnesota. Minnesota. Nebraska's is Minnesota. <laughs> Penn State's is Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State. But stinks. I think very easily looking at it. All three of those teams could finish like one and three, one and two. Yeah. Oh, so it's not I mean Penn bode well for We the know Badgers. Wisconsin is Iowa at home, at Michigan, then they have home against Purdue at Minnesota. That's, that's, I would say, three winnable games. I think Purdue is going to be one that you might want to turn off early. Purdue's a juggernaut. Penn State, they're at Ohio State, which is a very winnable game for them. That's that's their winnable game. Home against Rutgers. Rutgers is good. Northwestern. They're good. Home against Maryland. Uh, all decent teams besides Minnesota or besides or Ohio, Ohio state, state Ohio me. state's the clearly the worst team. And then you have, then you have Nebraska who, by the way, don't look now. They've had a left some wins is winning games and hot, arguably the second hottest team in the big 10, but Nebraska, they finish out their season. Now they've played an extra game than Penn state and Wisconsin, but they finish out the season with home against Minnesota. Very winnable game. Oh, yeah. Home against Michigan State at Iowa. That's that's a little tougher for them. And they kind of stink, but they have rattled off a couple of wins. I think uh, Nebraska gets one more and gets to 8-12. and 12. And then Wisconsin has Iowa tonight, Michigan on the road on Sunday, Purdue at home next Thursday, and then at Minnesota to finish out the regular season on March 5th, a Sunday. I'm nervous about tonight. Iowa's not bad. I mean, they're better than Wisconsin. Fran, it is at the Cole Center. Fran McCaffrey is a, a, a freakazoid. Well, then there's Michigan Rowdy. All right, what do you think happens tonight? I think Wisconsin, of those three teams that are 10th, 11th, and 12th in the Big Ten, Wisconsin would have the inside track to stay ahead of them. But I also don't think they catch anyone that's 9-7. and seven. Yeah, it's... It looks like the 10 seed... That's where you pencil them that's in Wisconsin. for the Big Ten tournament. They the, then they got to well, rattle a couple of wins if they want to get in the tournament. They have the tiebreaker with Penn State as they swept Penn State this year. Yeah. Now they don't with Nebraska. That's, but I they can't have a, that. But they have a half-game lead on Nebraska right now because Nebraska already took another L. I still can't believe that Wisconsin lost to Nebraska uh, early February. Uh, 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 11 days ago, I still can't get over it. Wisconsin lost to Nebraska 73 to 63. Lead in the second half. It's just, it's terrible. It's brutal. It's Nebraska. Hey. What's the spread tonight? Do you have it out? Have you seen it at all? No, I'll put you in the spot if you haven't seen it, but I'm curious to see what happens when the Iowa Hawkeyes come trotting in here. And we'll, I think it was a close spread. I, I know I glanced at it last night. Nah, we'll get, we, have t- we have time. We're here for a while. Um, 
Happy Wednesday, by the way. It's uh, Wisconsin. I'm looking at some more bracketology. Now, uh, Joe Lunardi's got him the first, uh, the last four in. I'm looking at another uh, publication here for Bleacher Report. It's not as good for the field of 68 for the Badgers in March Madness as uh, Joe Lunardi has them. So we'll, uh, we'll have to get into a little bubble watch here. As I, I can't believe we're talking about the Badgers again, losing to Mich- uh, Nebraska. And then uh, Wisconsin is a one and a half point dog tonight. They're a dog at home to Iowa Hawkeyes, man. Yeah, you mentioned Joe Lenardi having them as the last team in. And that was and early, that was of Mon- yeah, as that was of Monday earlier this week. Now, Ken Palm Ken Palm rankings has Wisconsin at seventy, so, so just outside just out. the NCAA. They're tournament. the first four out then. Yep, I have a. <laughs> As you would listen to all the experts and analysts on on like TV, yeah, Green or uh, Wisconsin is firmly on the bubble. Yeah, uh, Rowdy, right here. I'm at uh, Bleacher Report. NCAA is the the latest projection for the field of 68 uh, for Bleacher Report. Wisconsin, they don't do first four, first four. They do. Here it is, first five out, and the first team in the first five out. The Wisconsin Badgers. The resume metric still making a compelling case for Wisconsin, but it's free fall from this is crazy. It's free fall from eleven and two to fifteen and eleven, and it's ten and eleven effective record if you ignore Q four home wins has finally knocked the Badgers out of their field projection. Say so losing at home to a shorthanded Rutgers was yet another blow opportunity, a blown opportunity. For a team that is four and nine against the projected field, Wisconsin's remaining home games against Iowa, and Purdue, and road games against Michigan and Minnesota, they better win at least three. They just have so many games. It's like Northwestern is second in the Big Ten, and they arguably should have won both of those games. They lost by less than a bucket on both of them. It's so dumb. You have uh, a Kansas game that went into overtime, and clearly. There that should have been some, a win. There was some bad refereeing down the stretch. Terrible. You had a Wake Forest game in which you had a four to six point lead with like four minutes left. You blew it and lost by a, by one bucket. Blew it. You had a Michigan State game where Tyler Wall was out, where you could clearly see that they were they were missing Tyler Wall and a big man, and even Tyler Wall not playing as well they probably win that Michigan State game. Then I mentioned the two Northwestern games by a bucket. You have Rutgers by one point. Stupid. You have Nebraska where you had a 17-point lead. That's the one that just... If you just won a couple of those games, you're probably pretty safe. What if you just win the Nebraska game? Well, I'll tell you this. It might not go very far on your resume of like good wins, but it's not going to show up on bad losses. No, not no, not at all. I, you're in the turn. You're top sixty-eight. You're probably the sixty-eight team if you win that effing Nebraska game. Oh my god! All right, tonight we'll get it more into it. Yeah, Tyler Wall, dude, he just looks like a guy whose confidence is gone. Chucky Hepburn as well. Wisconsin has eight games this year that were all single digits that were very winnable. And also, don't forget about this. Wisconsin, right around Christmas time, had that that game against Grambling State canceled. Yeah, because of snow. Yeah. Now that's an extra win that maybe it doesn't look like much, but it looks better to the committee if you have one more win. And Grambling State turned out to be a pretty decent 
a small non-power five school that are right now currently in second in their their division so yeah it would it would be another win and it's not like it's a a terrible terrible win the season and Wisconsin is tough. was rolling at that point too they were will Fran McCaffrey freak out tonight well I mean does the sun come up every morning is the sky blue is grass green are boobs good I'm gonna say 50 50 chance Fran freak out I'll go 50 50 you know Fran's going to freak out. The question is, will he freak out enough to get a technical? Like, the only way I see Fran not potentially putting himself in a technical situation is if Iowa comes in and lights the Badgers up. If it's a close game, we already saw earlier this year, he's willing to get a technical. Yeah, and it always if, swings if, at the Badgers' And favor. we know if the Badgers are killing Iowa, there's definitely a real shot for a technical. <laughs> All right, on so Greg, and this and this game is lined at one and a half. I was favored by one and a half points, so it's telling us it probably should be a close game. I'm going to say fifty fifty. We get a Fran Frico. So over under on a half a technical. You're a betting man. Would you take take the over or the under? I think he's going to be on his best behavior tonight. I'll go under. You think so? Is Fran ever on his best behavior? Well, I was firmly in that nine and seven group. <laughs> so they got a little bit of wiggle room here. Are there prop bets on technical fouls, Mr. Betting Man? Not on your general. You'd have to make one up with a your your bookie, like a like that'd be like a friend bet. Yeah, you'd have to do that yourself with a friend or maybe a guy named Morocco who carries around a lead pipe. Like, do you really want to do that though? No. Greg Gard, you get me the right odds. <laughs> so in Fran's, Fran McCaffrey's career. We were trying to figure out how many texts that he's had. And we figured out so far through this season, he's averaging about one tech for what we could find about one tech every five games. And his first season, he got seven technical fouls. RJ was doing the the math on all this. We are at a minimum of at least 16 technical fouls so far in Fran McCaffrey's career. And that's light like that. That was just from articles we were able to find on Google uh, throughout the years. So at minimum 16. I, he's got to be in the 20s. Gardo, Greg Gard, Wisconsin basketball head coach, he's only had one tech in 280-plus games as coach. Here is a Gardo on that. I don't know if there's ever a calculated right time. I, I've always felt that if I have to make such a big deal, now if I have to really stand up for my guys and, and go at it for, or voice my opinion, that's one thing. But I felt if I become such a distraction that – that has to happen. I have bigger things to worry about and to work on to try to help our team. So Gardo was asked about this. Um, do you think real two days quick, ago? I think it's they're trying to pick. They're trying to poke him about Fran McCaffrey. Do you think that watching your coach freak out and get a technical gives you? Do you think it gives the team motivation, or do you think it goes? Oh, here we well, go. Well, let's again. think about it. Fran McCaffrey is public enemy number one when it comes to this, right? See, I because th- I, I was never finished third. I was never finished better than third in the Big Ten. I feel like getting a technical, watching your coach get a technical can be a motivation thing where it pumps you up. But if it's like a Fran McCaffrey that gets them so often, I don't think it is. I think for an Iowa team, it might be more like, oh, oh here, here we, we go. go. Coach is freaking out. Yeah, we got a bad call, but now we just gave away free throws. I feel like if it's like a guard or a guy that doesn't get them as much, then you it's, get- it's like a manager in baseball. You got some of the guys that, well, not as much anymore, that used to get run all the time. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, here's his, this, here's his day of the week. He's getting thrown out. But when you have like a Craig council, all of a sudden out of the, 
out of the the dugout freaking out, losing his mind, and he got tossed for only like the second time that year in 162 games. I think it might add a little bit of motivation for the team. Like the angry rooster gets out there in council and he starts kicking a little dirt. Because we've only seen that a few times. Or what about when Christian Yelich lost his mind? Yeah, then Council got thrown out like right after <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, that was like, last I, year. I feel like that would be like, that would energize a team like, yeah, yeah let's go. Yeah. For Fran, it's just like, oh, oh, God, here we go again. But then when you had like a, a Lou Pinella who was always getting wrong. Let's do, he stole a base. Like that like was literally took that the was, base. That was comedy for like everyone else watching. But I feel like as a team, you'd be like, "All right, here we go. Next ten minutes is just going to be Lou doing Lou things." Well, okay, Gardo was asked though, "What is there a benefit from other coaches, i.e., Fran McCaffrey for the Iowa Hawkeyes losing it?" Here's Gardo. Whether it's some view it as a motivational thing, yeah, you'd fire your team up, whatever the crowd. I I don't know if that really. To be honest with you, I think when other, for the most part, when other teams have gotten technicals, it's actually helped us. Because go give us some some free points at the line. I feel like that happens every time when Wisconsin plays Iowa. Fran McCaffrey loses his mind in like a big situation, and Wisconsin, who maybe be on the ropes a little bit, Fran loses it. They get the technical foul shots, and all of a sudden Wisconsin ends up winning the game. I feel like that always happens when in Wisconsin Iowa games. I feel like Wisconsin for the most part has kind of had Iowa's number lately too. Uh, Gardo says though he tries to stay as Fran freaks out. Gardo says he tries to stay as steady as possible during the games, but we'll try to get his point across to the officials. So I, I don't try to ride that emotional roller coaster and stay as even keel as I can when I need to. I probably say a few more choice things than everybody thinks I do just because of how they see me. But I when I need to get my point across, I do. And literally, I've and I have tried to stir the pot a little bit. And um, when, like I said, when I feel that you really need to, I, I don't have a problem doing that. I think not to base and judge someone by their looks, but I'm going to here. Fran McCaffrey looks like that dude that will just is a lunatic unhinged. Like he's on the he's on the fringe. He's about to step over the line. He looks like a guy who's ready to just to freak out at a moment's notice. Greg Gard looks like a cool, calm, and collected individual. Well, I don't think anyone's going to confuse Greg Gard with Bo Ryan. No, I mean Bo, Bo Ryan. He literally looked like an angry badger. Yeah, he looked like he kind of looked like the Grinch. Yeah, that snarl. Yeah. yeah, but it was great. Oh, it was awesome. Gardo doesn't have that mean well I think also that persona of Bo Ryan with the look and like the arms crossed and you could see he was getting pissed oh yeah and you could see he was working the referees with the red jacket on yeah like Greg Gard's a little less intimidating yeah he doesn't have necessarily those facial expressions all the time it's very few and far between when you see Greg Gard kind of lash out yeah so maybe it you know fans watching don't really perceive him as saying things to the ref because maybe yeah, he's more casual about it. Yeah. He's like a, he's cool, calm, collected, even when angry. Now, Fran McCaffrey, I do miss the Bo Ryan faces. Oh, though. I mean, they were the best, weren't they? I mean, you could just go like Google Bo Ryan faces. The pictures are incredible. Now there are officials, right? Bo Borowski is retired. He was the guy that everyone hated. G- Gardo was asked, are there types of officials that he likes or he doesn't like? Yeah. I respect officials that will communicate, even though if it's a erroneous call. As long as you communicate erroneous, and, and talk. The officials that won't talk to you, won't communicate, have a level of arrogance that's unnecessary. Those are the ones that are Hell a little yeah. more disturbing. Let's but guard, uh, for the most part, I think our officials have gotten better at communicating what they're seeing, what they're not seeing, maybe what they missed. And like I said, I don't coach a perfect game. Players don't play a perfect game, and I don't wouldn't expect them to officiate a perfect game. But when they do have a... Uh, recognize them with a mistake that they admit it and, you know, own it and we move on. 
I actually I I like that from Greg Gard. You know, block block versus charge is one that's always big in basketball, right? Yeah. And as long as say it's like an egregious block call, erroneous. That, yeah. Say the the ref goes well. You know, and like he said, communicating. Yeah, I yeah I saw it. He was still moving. Like you could say, oh BS. Like he was set, and and you can argue, and then it, you yeah, know, you can bark a but little if bit. It's a guy that's just making terrible calls, and he's just he's not even acknowledging you or saying why he saw it. I could see where that is. Just like rip your hair out. Like I'm ready to throttle this guy. Is that why guards team small hair? He he bottles it in. He rips his hair out instead of yelling at the refs. Is that is that why he? Maybe he'll blame it either on the referees or you know like any other dad probably blames it on his kids. <laughs> This is the reason why I don't have hair. You see this, son? You're the reason why. And don't worry. Years from now, you'll look just like me. Like, oh, no. Oh, God, Dad. What's the hair plug success rate? All right. So, yeah, tonight, will Fran freak out? Yes. Will he freak out to the tune of getting a technical? I want to say yeah. We'll see. But, you know, Wisconsin has seemingly had Iowa's number. This year's a little different. Wisconsin needs to win at least three games. And they have a... Unless they have a big Big Ten tournament. Yeah, unless they but have a big run. If they don't win some of these games down the stretch and how they've been playing the last four or five weeks, do you really anticipate a big Big Ten tournament if you uh, no. can't win some of these games? No. No. There is still hope. There is hope. You're clinging on to it. Hope springs eternal. And we mentioned it earlier in the show. Starts tonight. Joe Lenardi has them as the last team in. Ken Palm's got them as the 70th ranked team, so right on the fringe. Bleacher Report has them as the first team out. They are firmly on the bubble. They are literally the bubble badgers. They say uh, this post that was just uh, this article from the New York Post, 2023 World Series odds, why the Milwaukee Brewers are a tempting pick. Now my question is: Is 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 this is this author wasted? Is he drunk, or does he believe like some of us do? He goes, spring training is a time for cliches. The slate is clean. Hope springs eternal. All thirty teams are tied for the best record in baseball. All right, that's a strong opening statement. Zeros. Strong opening statement. <laughs> uh, it's nice to get caught up in this kind of stuff, but the reality is that only half the teams in Major League Baseball are actively trying to win this season. And of that, only a handful seem to have a legitimate shot at hoisting the trophy. All right. Well, let me just ask both of you guys. Do you believe right now, as every team does have the same record, spring training full of cliches, are the Milwaukee Brewers, do we believe, are, are they actively trying to win this season? No. Rowdy? The Milwaukee Brewers? Yes. Yes. Oh. I think they're actively trying to win. About 500? No. <laughs> The reason why I say they're actively trying to win is because they're clearly not tanking. Yeah, like they're they clearly have a team that should be at least competitive. <clears throat> now, whether competitive means World Series contender or playoff contender, playoffs, it's it's going to be a competitive team. All right, so yeah, I agree with you. Say so according to Sports Odds History, the last time a team with opening day odds longer than twenty to one won the World Series, was in 2015 when the Kansas City Royals took home the hardware as 33-1 to outsiders. Small market team. But even yeah, but even that result wasn't all that shocking as the Royals surprisingly won the AL pennant in 2014, so it's not like they came out of nowhere. And they do a couple pictures. There's one of Christian Yelich probably striking out. Another one of Christian Yelich hitting a solo home run in 
you know, walking the base or running the bases. They said, given the slate of the MLB, slapping the base. It's a league of have and have nots right now. It's hard to envision a path to success for a long shot winner in 2023. But if you were going to take a stab at on a Cinderella, you should focus on the path rather than the team itself. For example, they go an example about the Orioles, yada yada yada. And then they talk about some other teams, and then they get to the NL Central. They said the NL Central does look like it could be open for some chaos. I do, do. Do you agree with that? The NL Central could be open for chaos. The Reds stink. The Pirates are probably going to be the worst team in baseball. You have the Cubs who are on full-on rebuild, and then there's the Cardinals and the Brewers. I, I actually believe so the Reds and the Pirates, they suck. They're out. They're out. They stink. Now, the Cubs made a lot of moves, and the Cubs are going to be a lot better than what they were. Like on paper, the Cubs are still probably going to be a quote-unquote competitive team. They're not just going to roll over like they're the Marlins or the Reds or the Pirates. The Cubs should be competitive. They should be a team that if you're the a fan of the Cubs, you should be rooting for like a wild card spot. You do lose six games against your division rivals. And that's the other thing. You lose, so it used to be 19 games against all of your division opponents it's now down to 13 so you're not going to see the reds the pirates or some of these lesser teams that maybe milwaukee and and st louis uh feasted off of in the past you're not going to see as many games against them because they're trying to get more uh al versus nl matchups and just playing more of a wide variety of teams in general but yes i think overall the cubs should be a much more improved team the Cardinals are the Cardinals, and then the Brewers are the Brewers. So I, I don't necessarily think there's a ton of easy games. But if you look at from that article. Open for some chaos in the NL Central. You said that how many over the last 10 years outside of one season, it was all teams that were uh, 20 to 1 or better that won the World Series? Mm. Yep. Uh, according to Sports Odds History, the last time a team with opening odds longer than 20 to 1 won the World Series was in 2015 when the Royals took it at 33 to 1 outsiders. So these are the teams that will win the World Series or on paper has the ability to win the World Series when it comes to Vegas and their and their odds. Houston, Los Angeles Dodgers, Yankees, Braves, Mets, Padres, Phillies, Blue Jays, Mariners, Cardinals. Right. Those are the those are all the teams that have twenty to one or better odds. So so really they're telling you that what? There's about 10-ish teams that can win yep. the World Series. Everybody else, you're playing for either playoff spots or maybe years down the road. So, the, again, the headline of this article, 2023 World Series odds, why the Milwaukee Brewers are attempting pick. They go into the Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals are odds on to win the division at minus 120, but their projections are pretty modest. The Cards have an over-under of 89 and a half wins. Hmm. And the the... The Pecota project, P-E-C-O-T-A, Pecota projects them, uh, projects them, excuse me, to finish second to the Milwaukee Brewers. Finish second to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brew Crew are 40-1 to one to win the World Series on FanDuel, which is nearly double the odds of the Cardinals at 22-1. to one. Hmm. They say Milwaukee's offense will li- likely need to overperform for the team to be a true contender, but the pitching staff does have some serious upside with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, Freddie Peralta, and Wade Miley. Both Fangraphs and the Pakota P-E-C-O-T-A, project the Brewers to finish with the fewest runs allowed in their division. Oh. Finding a long shot in the World Series market has been a fool's errand for almost a decade now. But 
of all the potential upstarts, the Brewers seem to have the most upside, and the path to the playoffs isn't all that daunting. That's why the Milwaukee Brewers are a chic, tempting pick to win the 2023 World Series. I wouldn't call him a tempting pick. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the headline on the article. <laughs> I think no, I feel like can... this guy is just trying to meet his quota for <laughs> articles written. He's like, hey, you got to get some clicks. And let's, he's like, you know what? The Milwaukee fan base. The, the he Brewers took 15 minutes of brainstorming. Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, yep. We're going to go with the Brewers for this article. I can knock this thing out in about 20 minutes. Like, yep. Yeah. <sighs> that's what we easy. want to go with. No, All right. no, well, they got some pitchers. Their offense needs to be better. Uh, I was actually uh, talking about this. It can't be worse than last year. <laughs> last Fuller, night, <laughs> exchanging some text messages with our guy Fuller. Fuller. and Maxwell? Did he know? Did he make his presence known in the text group? Like, Do you oh, know who I am? Oh, yeah. Do you know who I am? Do you know who you were texting? Like, yeah, you, you fool dog. And it was actually, we were talking about this. Like, I believe that this Milwaukee Brewers team as assembled is definitely a, a playoff contender. They're a, they're a playoff contender. They should be in the thick of things to be right in it, kind of like last year down to the last month where they should be in it. Now, depending on how good the Cardinals are and, and where the Brewers sit, maybe you could take a look at them. Uh, contending in the division as well. That's that's a possibility. But I look at this team, and the one thing that they are going to have to do and do it very well, if they're going to be a division contender, if they're truly going to be a playoff contender, is the starting pitching. Because remember 2021, this rotation, your big guns are all the same guys basically from 2021. And we saw how good Burns was. He won the Cy Young. We saw how good Woodruff and Peralta were. They also finished in the top 10 for the Cy Young. Yep. But fast forward to 2022, <laughs> Burns was not quite as good as his Cy Young year, but you're not going to argue with anything he did. Woodruff missed like a month and a half. Freddie Peralta missed like half the season. Hauser struggled and had injuries. Like you can go right down the list and for a starting rotation that had like seven pretty solid serviceable major league baseball arms, almost all of them were hurt outside of burns for extended periods of time or didn't pitch well. And that's the reason he was why they missed the playoffs. Yep. According to the Milwaukee Brewers, he wasn't injured, but like on a serious note, you look at this Milwaukee Brewer team and it's even deeper. Now they went out and made it an emphasis of going and getting more guys that are, are serviceable major league arms that can start. I look at this team and probably could say that they have nine big league serviceable starters right now on this roster that you maybe need a, in a spot start or, you know, for a month at a time, if a guy goes down that are capable of doing that, so they thought they were deep last year. They had to even add to it after what happened. If that starting pitching stays healthy and is closer to 2021 than it was in 2022, yeah, this is definitely a playoff and maybe division contender. Mm. Now, if you have injuries or guys Which have, will happen or guys have bad seasons, which will happen, this could potentially be closer to the 2020 to 2022 team that didn't make the playoffs. Cause look at the rest of the roster. Uh, huge question mark for production at right field. 
Hunter Renfro is now gone. He gone. He was arguably a, a top ten productive right fielder and was is arguably the Brewers' best offensive player per number of games he played. You have a big question mark about at second base now with Colton Wong gone. It's not that Wong was such a great second baseman last year. It was that he was consistent and you don't have anything consistent behind. It's Bryce Terang who looks good in AAA the last year and a half, yeah, but he's never played in the big leagues. Yeah. How many times do great AAA players bust? And then you don't. That. Yeah, then you have a bunch of guys that are are depth pieces behind him. You don't. Ne- maybe Keston Hero works back Ooh, in the mix. Kest Daddy. Who knows? Keston. Daddy. Center field. You can't be any worse than what you were last year with Jonathan Davis, and I'm not talking about the Hooper. Uh, and Corn's lead singer, Lorenzo Kane. That was awful. Garrett Mitchell and and Tyrone Ooh, Taylor. Mitchell's going to become screaming in the whoever they piece, Come on, piece together that's should be just on. as good, on, if not better, in center field. So at least that's one question mark where you feel like you can't be any worse. But then the catching position, you totally upgraded. You should. You will no longer be one of the worst teams as a production angle. Uh, hitting the baseball as as bad as you were last year. There's no way they can be as well, bad. They need at a catching. third hitting coach now. They had two last year. They need three now. So you basically are are maybe four. Probably a positive in center field. You're definitely a positive at catcher, but you have two big question marks in right field and second base. But the other big thing is the bullpen. The but bullpen. They just got uh, Tim Wilson or uh, Brian Brian Anderson and t- t- well, Brian Anderson. Is an infielder. Oh, who's the Tim Wilson? Is it and his name? Tim Wilson? I don't think exists. Are you, are you I think you're thinking Anderson? of Justin Wilson. Yeah, Justin Wilson. He'll get there the second half of the season. But, but Justin, get done Tommy like that's Johns. the thing though with the bullpen. How Tim, many Tim the last couple of years? The last couple of years, you could rely on the back end of your bullpen were Hader, Williams, Boxberger, and they were very reliable, really good pitchers. You're out of those three good players. You're down to just Williams. Now you brought in a lot of the new arms. Bender. You kind of shuffled a lot of those serviceable major league arms because the Brewers have always been good, especially since David Stearns took over, finding those guys that have been good in the past and then resurface or that guys that have talent that finally kind of harness it. They've been good at that, mm-hmm. but you did that mm-hmm. with a lot of guys that have that do have talent, but it's not proven talent in the big leagues year after year. Like, Boxberger and Hater. It's guys with upside. It's guys that should Brewers should be shock the world in the major leagues, shock but the they world. just don't have a lot of experience. So even the bullpen the, outside the of Devin Williams and a, and a few different arms is a question mark too. So yeah, for me, it's it's going to be one or the other. They're either going right. to be a, a contender for the division with the, world. with the Cardinals if they get the good pitching again. Or they're going to be right back to missing the playoffs if the pitching doesn't come through. Morally revealed. Thank you, uh, New York Post, for saying the Brewers are a chic, tempting pick for the World Series. It Hope springs eternal spring overall, training. I think that guy's just trying to fill a quota <laughs> of articles written. Probably. Yeah, so Derek Carr in New York, uh, the Jets pitched him on, and, and I quote, being a first ballot Hall of Famer in New York. Uh, they were pretty clear with him. They told him he's a great quarterback. They'll throw them. He's got a legit starting cast of players. They ran top to bottom of why Derek Carr can step in here and take the team, not just to the playoffs, but to the Super Bowl, and then eventually him to Canton, Ohio. So obviously, every I firmly believe this. Everyone that has made it to the NFL and to this type of level has an ego. 
because you have, the, to. you have to have the ego in order to make it that far. Now the ego can not only be kind of your triumphs, but also your downfalls. Yep. But I believe everyone has an ego. But don't you think some of these guys, when they're in these meetings and the team's kissing their ass and, and saying whatever it can because they need a quarterback that is above average and not Zach Wilson, when they're sitting there telling you that you're a Hall of Famer and you could be playing in Canton or even in the past, like last year around this time when Devontae Adams was talking about, yeah. you know, playing with Derek Carr and he's going to be a Hall of Famer and, you know, he went from one Hall of Famer to the next. You ever think they just sit there and go, God, you're full of BS. I would think a, a party like, just got a little bit. I get that there's an ego factor in here, but you got to kind of know where you're at. Or you maybe you're still self-awareness. Maybe you're such a narcissist that you're like, yes, yeah, dude, I've been thinking this my whole life. You're finally speaking my language. <laughs> like, like apparently he hit it off big time with Robert Salah, the Jets head coach. Maybe he's sitting there and he's like, yes, dude, you're right. I am the man. Like all these guys, the when they get in. Tell me more. When they get on the field, like they know who's the best. They know who's who, right? Like you obviously think you're the best. Like mentally you think, hey, I'm the guy, blah, 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 blah. You got to have that mindset if you're in that. But when you get right down to it, they knew that Aaron Rodgers was that guy. They know that Patrick Mahomes is that guy. Well, I'm glad you bring that up, Rowdy. So the the thing that, I mean, Derek Carr's good. Derek Carr is good. But there's a lot of Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? You know who's a first ballot Hall of Famer? Aaron Rodgers. Derek Carr is top half of the NFL good, like for at the quarterback position. Like what? He was up for the MVP like once or twice where he was in the running. Never won. Yeah. He's never won a Super Bowl. What? He's been a fill in on Pro Bowls outside of like a season or so. Yeah. Yep. That that screams Hall. Of, no, that's that screams nice quarterback. You know who's a Hall of Famer? Aaron Rodgers. And so the Jets are stuck in a little rock and a, well, not a rock and a hard place, but they're they're trying to figure out who their quarterback's going to be. Because I'll tell you this. Zach Wilson is a first ballot Hall of Fame turd. He ain't no Hall of Fame quarterback. So who would you rather have, Rowdy? A guy that you can maybe sell some snake oil to that could be a Hall of Fame quarterback, in their words, to woo him to be a part of your team, or a legit actual first-round Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers? Now, here's the difference. Derek Carr is out in public. Aaron Rodgers is sitting in a dark room for four days with doing nothing else but thinking. So Derek Carr is already interviewing with the Jets. Apparently, they've had a, they kicked it off. Well, Derek Carr is also 31 years old. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is 39. When you look at great NFL quarterback, even if we if we just go great to solid, if even if we put Derek Carr, which I think he's punching above his weight right now when we put him in this category, mm-hmm. but when you say solid, good, borderline Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and again, I think we're He's punching above his weight with this borderline Hall of Fame. We're being kind today. Yes. All those guys normally play to like what? Their late 30s? Mm -hmm. 36 to 38. You see that fall off? He's 31. So that's five to seven years of of solid play. Aaron Rodgers is an all-timer, but we've seen most of those all-timers. You fall off between 38 and 41 outside of Tom Brady. Yes. Aaron Rodgers is 39. You can do the math. There's clearly not as many good years left in Aaron Rodgers as there are in, in Derek Carr, just based on their age. But is the remaining years of Aaron Rodgers, we milk out of him, is that better than whatever's left of Derek Carr for his long term? Well, you think about the longevity. Jets. The Jets are a very young, talented team. And 
could this be a team that you put a really good quarterback on it, and the next thing you know, they're like the Bengals and they're in the Super Bowl? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But if they're building it for like a four, five years of, of being good for four or five straight years, you might look in a Derek Carr direction. Yeah. Because I mean, you're going to be giving up less. It's just signing and money. You don't have to trade any of your picks. You continue to build your roster. And again, you have a top half quarterback in the NFL. I feel like if you're looking to acquire Aaron Rodgers at this point, you're almost like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where you have cap space, you have a decent roster, and you're ready to build in a two-year window. Yeah. Because if you're looking for like four, five, six years where it's like, hey, we can be good for a while, he's not going to be there. No. He's already said he doesn't want to play really past. You have 40. a very small window. Yeah, you have. It's got to be like a Tampa Bay team that goes, all right, we're bringing in Brady. He's old as crap. Yeah. We got two years to win a Super Bowl. Let's go do it. Yep. And now Derek Carr. Well, listen here. One one last thing before I get this phone call. Uh, Derek Carr. The quote: "The good vibes around the meeting could prove to be problematic for the Jets as they try to try to solve one of the biggest organizational issues after Zach Wilson's second year face plant." Oof-da. I was waiting a day to see if anything came through. A lot of dead money just is the hit, right? Yeah, so there were a number of contracts for players that their salaries were deferred would be triggered if they weren't extended. And they did not extend or re-sign any of those players. So all of that dead cap money was triggered, which was just under $16.5 million. So the Packers going into this season will be playing, uh, be paying just under $16.5 million in dead cap for players that will not be on their roster. And you'd have to imagine that most of the players that they didn't try and re-sign, most of them, due to the amount of salary that they just put into dead cap, they're probably not going to re-sign them. Yeah, that's like the Adrian Amoses of the world. Now, the the Bob Tunyons who accounted for much less of that money, like Adrian Amos accounts for almost eight out of that sixteen point four million. He, the Bob Tunyons have a smaller amount. They could still probably re-sign him, though it would have been probably slightly smarter to try and sign him now. But they don't probably they don't know what the. Um, the market will look like they could have offered him something and he could have held out anyways. He wouldn't have to sign it because free agency doesn't technically start. And the only way to get guys like Bob Tunyon resigned and save that money would have been offering a deal, probably a lot sweeter than what the market says. So, so yeah, it's just, it's, this is the road the Packers chose though. Yeah. This, I mean, Hey, uh, safety, Adrian Amos, uh, here's dead cap money, uh, voided deals that are associated with dead cap charges. Amos, almost $8 million. Dean Lowry, $3 million. Jaron Reed, $1.5. Randall Cobb, $1.4. Mercedes Lewis, a mil. Mason Crosby, a mil. And Robert Tunyon, half a mil. Now go right through that list again. Eight, I think Adrian Amos, Amos is gone. I think Dean Lowry is gone. Um, Jaron Reed, probably gone. That guy actually probably played his way into a, a better contract than the Packers would like to pay. Yeah. Uh, Randall Cobb. If well, Rodgers comes back, Rogers. you could see him coming back on a cheap deal. Mercedes Lewis, if Rodgers comes back and is a Packer, you could probably see it on a cheap deal. Mason Crosby in the video said he's ready for his next year. He's he probably bo- he comes back broth? on a cheap deal. Yeah. 
So yeah, there are some guys that'll come back on cheap deals, but they weren't going to offer them extensions because there's no, there, there was no, no way that it would happen. I know the Packers obviously reworked Aaron Jones and they saved, how much did they save? On it was that? about $5, 5 million, million on the cap for this year. So they reworked that and er, saved that. He took a $5 million pay cut. They saved about $11 million. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. And then there's this rowdy. Uh, players linked to the Packers. We all know that DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL a few years ago, not last year and probably not the year before has been linked to the Packers in trades, but now the free agent wide receivers that are coming to hit that are going to be hitting the market here in March. There have been some guys that are linked to the Packers. Well, at least one big name because it is, presumed that he ends up getting cut here. And that is again, one of the top wide receivers in the NFL, formerly Michael Thomas. You mean slant boy slant boy. (laughs) When's the last time he actually like played? He was was really, really good. Like pre COVID. Yeah. But that also coincided with Drew Brees. That also coincided with not Taysom Hill, a good saints offense and roster. And, a good head coach in Sean Payton. Ah, yes. But since then, those things would go pretty far. The dude has had almost every single type of injury where he never plays. And one of his nagging injuries is the high ankle sprains, which if you've ever had one, you know, is really a nagging injury, but yeah, he has not been able to stay healthy for a while. Yeah. But some of the other free agent market, uh, wide receivers that'll be out there. Juju Smith, Schuster, McCall Hardman, Jacoby Myers, DJ Chark, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, <laughs> Paris Campbell, Alan Lazard, Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard. Which one of those guys really turns your head read the, can you read the list that again? you think the Packers will actually be able to afford? Can you read the list again? DeAndre Hopkins. Well, he, he he's under contract, oh, sorry, but he was right. linked in he's a trade. Linked. All right, so Michael Thomas, who most likely gets cut. Juju Smith-Schuster, McCole Hardman, Jacoby Myers, DJ Chark, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Paris Campbell, Alan Lazard, Sterling Shepard. Who the Packers could afford? Alan Lazard, maybe? No, they're not going to be able to afford Lazard. What will he hit He'll the market? command, like, probably close to what MVS got. Oh, okay. Well, throw him out there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Sterling Shepard's been hurt, like, yeah, every he year play. lately. He doesn't play. Paris Campbell. At- Juju going to get Is he really money? worth signing to that big but Juju wants money. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. Odell out of all here. of those guys, we were questioning whether they should sign them a couple of years ago yeah. when they were free agents because of their age and what they were. Chark hasn't been able to stay healthy. Jacoby Myers is solid, but he's not flashy. He's been in New England. Hardman's solid, but those guys are probably going to command way more money yeah. than the Packers currently have. But this is who the, the Packers do have coming back. Christian Watson, yeah. Romeo Dobbs, yeah. Samari Toure, the three wide receivers <laughs> that they drafted last year. Yeah, they're cheap. But, but don't forget, they also brought in an All-American, former All-American during the season, and there was a couple of big headlines for some like little uh, clickbait stuff. Jeff Cotton. Oh God! Remember the the JUCO All American. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he's he's under a you know a vet minimum deal for this year, oh, and yeah. actually Bo Melton, former Rutgers uh, standout name, wide receiver. Is this called B O or B E A U? B O. Oh, B-O. no, it, it, yeah, it's 
Now, Bull Melton. It's a lesser version of a bowl. Bull Melton was a, B-E-A-U. He was a pretty good wide receiver at Rutgers, but he's kind of been the fringe roster guy in the NFL the last year or so. Yeah. so but those are the only five receivers they have under contract. Now, they could bring back. This name's really going to turn heads. They could bring back a Jawan Winfrey on a very cheap deal. Oh, but again, that's <laughs> that's another fringe NFL roster type guy. That's So they definitely need to uh, at least go after one receiver, or maybe draft a receiver. Tight end, we already know, is a huge issue. You got you to gotta think, though, they target tight end in the draft where you got probably eight or nine tight ends that they think are uh, pretty solid players in the future and especially the top end of the tight end draft here pretty darn good okay whiskey pack on twitch says watson number one dobbs number two so go get, go get a three in free agency <laughs> well if you're gonna list what the packers currently have for wide receivers watson one dobbs two samari two rays like a fifth receiver and then everyone else is like a practice squad oh god bless us everyone Hey, but at least they at least they found some capable, serviceable top threes, right? I know. We found that in the draft. But too bad it maybe maybe Randall Cobb will come back on a cheap. Deal. It's Randall Cobb playing four games and being hurt. Alright. Maybe it's a good thing that they did come to that agreement with Aaron Jones. Maybe they'll actually get him the yeah, ball. Yeah, they'll this throw year. him the ball more. The Green Bay Packers, we were talking a little off air interesting stuff about Aaron Rodgers of who he was throwing to for the most of his career. And now there's a big to-do about getting weapons, and Rodgers might not even be back with the Packers. Who's Rodgers going to? Devontae Adams? Uh, and then who? MVS? Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard? The ghost of Randall Cobb? <laughs> and before that, I mean, when Rodgers, the Sports Illustrated cover, right? When he first started, that was now that's a collection of talent. Like when you think of Aaron Rodgers' career, you think of the early parts where the Packers just started having success, and you had the likes of Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, uh, James Jones, Jordy Nelson. Then he eventually got Randall Cobb the next year after that Super Bowl. Like those were good players. There's oh, yeah. no doubt about that. But that was also when Aaron Rodgers was putting up some of the best years in NFL history when, you know, you're throwing for nearly 50 touchdowns. Yeah. Then you look to the middle of his career, the big chunk in the middle. It's like, okay, you had an aging Jordy. You no longer had Jennings or James Jones. You no longer had Jermichael Finley or Donald driver. And it was like Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson for in that chunk. And then it was basically just Devonte Adams. Like there's nothing more that can probably better describe the green Bay Packers and the lack of weapons. than remember that hail Mary in the playoff game to Jeff Janice, to Jeff Janice in Arizona, where they were trotting out. Oh, I remember Jeff Janice, who was a seventh round pick. Janice rises. The, there was James the ancient Jones remains of James Jones. The hoodie. In his hoodie. They had Jared Aberderis. Jared Aberderis, who couldn't stay healthy. Like, those were like the top three wide receivers. And oh, yeah, by the way, at that same time, they never had any good tight ends. Yeah. Remember, after Jermichael Finley, they were a, searching for a great who, tight end. Who did we talk about yesterday? Andrew Corliss. Yeah, we he were, had chosen one on his. And he was anything but. His claim to fame is he was firing off a gun trying to impress some women outside a parking but ramp in Florida. Think about that after Jermichael Finley. You had years didn't where work like, out for him. your top two tight ends were Andrew Corliss and they were like Richard Rodgers. Yeah, Dick Rogers with the Motown Again, another, another Hail Mary completed to yeah. a guy that 
was like fringe NFL roster. I think he caught on with the Eagles for a little bit, but again, but good memory. Yeah. Very briefly. Um, yeah, you look at you look at the fact that they had no tight ends, and then remember they tried the one year experiment with Martellus. Bennett. Oh, that one's terrible. Then you had the signing of Jimmy Graham, who played like terrible. Ma- maybe two good games in the entire he time. Had, he was his a one good game was what against the Seahawks in the playoffs. You had Jared Cook for one year, who was that even was him? extremely talented, but that year he was out for like half the season with nagging injuries. Then you remember the toe tap. Oh yeah. But outside of like the toe tap, do you really remember much of Jared Cook? He was only healthy for like half the year. It's just the Dallas Cowboys toe tap. You've literally been juggling and looking for a great tight end basically since Jermichael Finley broke vertebras in his neck. And that's been like a decade ago. And it's still an issue now for the Packers. And it's still an issue. Bob Tunyon had what, like a year and a half where he really flashed and then the knee injury and he really hasn't flashed since. Mercedes Lewis was. He's good for like two. Three awesome catches and maybe a touchdown where people lose their minds on Twitter, and that's about it. Mercedes couple, Lewis couple is a blocks. shell of what he was in Jacksonville when he was in his prime. Yeah. I mean, you really haven't had any tight end play or great consistent tight end play. And then, again, you're, you're that middle patch of his career where he was at the heights of his powers as one of the best quarterbacks year in and year out, doing it with those type of, of players. Then at the end of his career, yeah, Devontae Adams was one of the best wide receivers in football, but outside of that, it was pretty lean. It was like, well, maybe Alan Lazard is a number three wide receiver. Think about this for the Packers. Maybe though. NVS is a three. Aaron Rodgers, as he's in his prime, just dragging a big hog everywhere he goes. What's the one thing? The Packers need to get him more weapons. The Packers need to get him more weapons. The Packers need to get him more weapons. What do they do? They don't. They don't do it. Well, I mean, think even and if now he, what's the talk about Rodgers becomes that? Well, now we need to get him weapons. Well, he's at the twilight of his career. The one thing I'll say about Green Bay that they did a really good job in almost his entire career is putting a pretty solid offensive line around him. Yes, now, he's always been protected. There those. was a year or two in there where the line was down, but for the most part, he's always had pretty solid lines. Correct. But you look at that middle part where he was really at his best, where you could argue from 2000, the end of 2010, 11, where they won the Super Bowl to the 11-12 season where they went 15-1. and one. From basically then to 2017 where you had 2017-18 where you had the toe tap, Yep, Aaron Rodgers was arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL every single year, and he was doing it really without any tight end play, really with outside of like maybe one receiver, anyone that was any better than a three. And then you look at the running backs. They were searching for running backs for a long time after Amon Green retired, where they had Eddie Lacy for, Eddie Lacy, then he got for th- three seasons, and he got fat, and then you're juggling fat Eddie Lacy and all these other guys that yeah. were well, fringe NFL There's also guys getting hurt, right? Was it Franklin? James Franklin got... It was him. He, he broke hurt. his he neck, neck, too. You had Starks. Uh, Which who was like, he was good he was for, there like for one year, but he was like seemingly there forever. He, he, again, because they were trying to find somebody. You brought... Uh, was Cedric Benson on the Packers for a minute? That was early. But, that was er- but again, after... RIP, by the way. After Amon Green, they searched for a long time to really... Because f- what? They had Sam Congato in there for a season. Oh, you had that uh, Ninja Turtle, Sam Congato. The original Ryan Grant, not the wide receiver. Yeah, right. Yep, right. Like, Ryan Grant was decent for a minute. Cedric Benson had like one decent... Se- it was like one-year filler guys that were not even overly talented like an Amon Green in the past. What... Like, think the, about that. Was at the end of Eddie Lacy? Is that when Aaron Jones came in? But they never really used well, him. Remember, didn't know what he was. remember how they used to score a lot of goal line touchdowns outside of Rodgers throwing it? It was John Coon. They had to go to a fullback. Then they had Ripkowski for a little bit who fumbled in the yeah. Yeah, Ripper. I mean, the bet. 
You look at every pack. Aaron Rodgers literally carried the Packers on his back for years. In his arguably his best years from 2010 to 2010 to a 2011 season to 2017 to 18 season. He was probably by far easy hands down the best in that window year in and year out for numbers and just ability as a quarterback. He carried that. He carried and they the Packers really year in and year out. A lot of weapons from probably fourteen to eighteen. Yeah, I mean, look at some of the NFC Championship games, right? It's uh, again, who'd you bring up? Jeff Janis, Jared Eberdaris, and the ghost of James Jones. Who you can only see him because he had a hoodie on. Like that. That was an NFC Championship game. And now there's a big scramble to get weapons. As is Rodgers even going to be the quarterback? Is it going to be Jordan Love? What weapons are even there? I mean, Christian Watson, maybe. Romeo Dobbs, maybe. Who's the third? Who's your number three wide receiver right now? There isn't one. Who's your number one? Well, it's got to be Watson. You'd think, right? He's the biggest game changer they got at wide receiver. Like, Romeo Dobbs is very steady, runs good routes. He's he's kind of that middle guy. He's not necessarily a deep threat. Christian Watson's the guy that can take the top off the defense on a you know a, a crosser over the middle, but he's unproved. Like he's unproven. Or, or a deep you know go route. Yeah. But yeah, both are relatively still young and unproven, but they've flashed. And now it's all about Rodgers as an a hole. Rodgers this, Rodgers that. The dude literally carried a franchise on his back forever, and now there's a scramble to get weapons when he might not even be the quarterback. What? Are you late to the party here? I think Brian that Gutekunst? might just tell you one thing. They don't think love is as good as Rodgers or Favre because what was the biggest thing that Ron Wolf and then even Brian Gutekunst to a point said that they didn't do a good job of over the last 30 years is getting their great quarterbacks weapons. Yeah. Now all of a sudden they got to move on to most likely Jordan Love. Not saying that love is bad, but clearly they might not think he's at the level of Hall of Fame Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Fame Brett Favre. If all of a sudden it's a worry to go get weapons, it, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? It literally boggles the mind. And that could mind. still mean that Jordan Love is a fine quarterback, like say 15th in the league, which they can still win with, but you got to get him weapons. But why not get the best quarterbacks in the league weapons when they were in their prime? And then when Rodgers is playing, they have a weapon in the backfield in Aaron Jones, and Matt LaFleur is like fumbling around his words saying, Oh, that could really, really got 10 carries. Oh, that's on me. Could this go back to like people in their everyday life starting businesses and taking risks and major league owners taking risks? Were the Packers just risk adverse? Yes. Where they didn't take enough risks? Probably. Yeah. I, I love, oh, I don't, I love how. Ron Wolf says, my biggest regret is never getting far enough weapons. Then what happens, Ted Thompson and Brian Gutekunst? Well, look at when he got What him, do they do? They never get him weapons. When he got him Andre Rides and they won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Here's Gutekunst like, you know what? I'm going to pick up the phone and call some people. I'm not going to bring him in. <laughs> I'm just going to call. The last time the Packers drafted a wide receiver in the first round, it was Javon Walker. I said, oh, one, it's oh, two. Yeah. That was off memory. Now I got it in front of me. And Ebo, yes. can you guess who and when was the second to last wide receiver taken in the first round by the Green Bay Packers? I, no, no, just So the the most recent It's is, been eighty nine years. <laughs> pretty much. Javon Walker in 02. Yep. The next recent and let's just say for just time's sake, O two. This is the two thousand three draft. It's twenty one years ago. The next 
most recent wide receiver taken in the first round by the Green Bay Packers was on the year of your birth, Ebo. 1988. Sterling Sharp. Oh, baby. I should have known that. Sterling Sharp 35 years ago. They went from 88 to 2002 to now we're left wondering when it'll ever happen again. And if you want to go back one further, the third most recent wide receiver taken in the first round by the Green Bay Packers was 1978 James Lofton. Ooh, our guy James Lofton. 45 years ago. So in 45 years, they have three first round picks at the wide receiver position. Packers don't have a good track record in that. Hey, at least... At least two of them, one's a Hall of Famer, one should probably, or two should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Sterling Sharp probably should be in the Hall of Fame. That definitely should be. And then Javon Walker was a pretty nice player until he got into the contract dispute yeah. and things went south. Said, so overall, I would say they've had some success going with first round picks at the wide receiver position. In the so first. why don't they do it more? But yeah, it's uh, such a small sample size in 45 years. There's uh, only three guys. Sweet baby Jesus. Line one, good morning. Who's this? Hey, Clapper, make a guy feel old. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, kid. That beer will keep you young, though. First one to win, uh, first receiver to make 50, uh, 50 catches or whatever it was. Hey, what do, you and, got, uh, what do you got playing in the background? Oh, I got on the Kelly and Ryan. Sorry, I turned off the boot box for now. Cause I Charlie, I just love the fact that you had the boom box on, listen to us. You got Kelly and Ryan are usually like Star Trek or Leave it to Beaver on the TV, and you're just sitting in yeah. your recliner slamming Ice House. Yeah, I, uh, I they took off Star Trek Next Generation. I completely, they got some stupid joke. Called well, here's what you do, Charlie. You get a pen and a paper and an envelope and a stamp, and you write a letter and you complain. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 and uh, That's right. And... Uh, no, uh, this is hey, I had a question. I see this commercial Buck and Honey's in Tom Perry. I take it that's a bar. Yeah, uh, it's a bar restaurant, yes. My friend from high school lives out in Tom Perry. But I like Tom Perry Country Club. That's kind of cool. To get through that quick. Yeah, that's great. They, they always have I don't think they have ice house there, though. I don't think they have ice house there. They keep it very good. But, uh, so what's your question about Tom Perry? I just wonder what everyone sees in it. I mean. <laughs> I, what do I they mean, see in Tom Perry? Yeah, uh, you know, some uh, nice call? budding, bustling community. A lot of uh, people there that you know uh, give back to uh, you know their their little city there. And yeah, they got two high schools now. Sun Prairie, Wanakee, Verona—they're like the closest things you can say as a suburb yeah. of Madison. Oh, but here's what people love about Sun Prairie: Kenny and Heilprin live at Monks in Sun Prairie every Thursday yeah. from five to six. That's the that's the crown jewel oh. of Sun Prairie. Oh, right, Ben. Right, Benjamin. Ken? Ben? Did you, did you say Let's Monk? be careful who we disseminate this information to. Charlie, Monks and Sun Prairie. You every gotta, Thursday, you five to six. At least one Thursday. I was at the one in, I was at the one in Middleton. Yeah, they, yeah, they got one in Middleton. Go the one in Middleton. Yep, they have that yeah, one. I, I stopped there after working at uh, Johnny's Italian. I worked there for a summer. Oh, yeah. And, um, you were at Johnny's Italian? You th- cooking some steaks yeah. up, kid? Yeah, I, I did that for one summer. How do, you, how, do you, how do you like your steak? And if it's not medium rare, we got a problem. Oh, okay, that's fine too. Actually, yeah, all right. raw. <laughs> You're like old, no, dirty bastard. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Uh, well, as a kid, I used to like it medium, and then I went to medium rare in my twenties. Then you and went, then to, rare. went to rare. And and now you just go right, right to a cow and just bite its ass, right? Rare, give me a little rump. <laughs> so it used to be at uh, Mountain Jack's restaurant by where Toys R Us used to be at West Town. 
and I, they had great meals there. And I that's was, fantastic. I, it's not I even too great if it's not around anymore. But, yeah. Well, we we love you, kid. Much love. Yeah, y'all have a great day. Don't do anything I want to do, but that won't do it. That won't do it. Yeah, I won't drink any ice house today. I'll so, tell you that. All right, kid. See you, buddy. Captain Kirk Picard out. Everybody at Jmail. Bye. <laughs> Now, our guy Fuller messaged in and says, <laughs> the other crazy thing about their receivers, they never get wide receivers from blue blood programs. They all come from middle of the pack power five schools or small D1 schools. Only blue blood I can think of in recent memory was Amari Rogers. And well, look how that played out. <laughs>